0: Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and we are going to continue in verses 20 through 23 or 21 through 23 this morning and uh, as you're turning there uh, probably like a lot of you uh, I've kind of understood at least to some level some degree opposition really from my entire life uh, whether it's opposition rivalry uh, it started earlier on because I am a younger brother I have an older sister and uh, I understood that part of my role as a younger brother is to oppose my older sister, right? And, and so that's just part of the gig. I love her. Uh, and we have a great relationship today. Uh, but part of growing up was just this like, okay, how can I get on her nerves? How can I rival her, oppose her, okay? Uh, and then kind of growing up, I was a G.I. Joe guy and a He-Man guy, and so we had the good guys, bad guys, and so if y'all were uh, in that stage of life, kind of had the opposition, the rivalry, kind of growing up, obviously, I uh, grew up in, in Corinth nearby, so uh, sports, if you were playing the, the cross-city rival or the cross-county rival, uh, that was always a big deal, um, and so, so opposition rivalry, we kind of always, maybe, if you're like me, have kind of understood it to, to a degree. But I remember it kind of shifting a bit uh, in 1991. And it kind of sticks out of my head because it was January, and I had gone with my dad to a basketball game. And so we were there, and it was a high school game. I think I was a fifth grader, something like that. And I remember that before tip-off, they just asked everybody to please stand and they said, we want to take a moment of silence and I want to ask everybody to pray that we had just begun what would be known as Operation Desert Storm. Now for me, I was a, i was a, again, I was a fifth grade at the time and, and up to that point, like I really didn't know what war was. I really didn't know what hostility was. And I remember like it was different. That hit me different. Because as this kind of fifth grade boy, making, being kind of made aware that there is a war that has just started, I've got opposition, i got rivalry, but the whole hostility thing, this was something new. And as, I, as I've grown up, and obviously we live in a broken place, and begin to see and become even more aware of hostility and things like that, that we understand opposition, we understand rivalry, we understand hostility. But today's passage is going to teach us something that I think for some, maybe this is going to be challenging to get our heads around, because here's the premise of the text we're going to read, and that is this. is that if you are living apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that you are in effect, in opposition to God. That apart from Christ, you are a rival to God. That the text we're going to read today says that we are, apart from Christ, hostile to God. And so we're, for many, apart from Christ, even there would not be that kind of sense of, of, of hostility or opposition, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. And so, praise God that through the cross of Jesus that he has allowed us this path to have peace to him. Our peace has been paid. He has made the way for us to have peace with him. And that's what this text this morning is going to walk us through this morning. So again, if you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, and I want to read verses 20 through 23 and just kind of walk through this morning what it looks like to have peace with God. The Bible says, Colossians 1, this is Paul the apostle writing from prison to the church at Colossae. And just a reminder, the church is thriving. Paul, through Epaphras, the church planter, has made his way to Rome. He's let them know, hey, he's let them know of their faith in Christ Jesus. He's let them know of the love that they have for one another. He's let them know of the hope they have, how they're bearing fruit, and how they are increasing. But there is opposition in the camp. And there's opposition to the gospel. And one of those is the fact that the Gnostics, this outside cult, false religion, is pressuring to say Jesus is not God. And Paul is emphatically stating Jesus is God. Verse 20 of chapter 1 says, And through Him, talking about Jesus, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, "...by the blood of His cross, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you... Listen to this, church. "...in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Reconciliation. It means to change. It means an exchange. It refers to um, enemies being restored to friends. It refers to peace. And so what I want to talk about this morning is, is that reconciliation. So the first thing we see in the text is the why of reconciliation. Why do we need it? Why do we need peace with God? Look at verse 21 again. It says, And you, who once were... Now, I want to pause one moment and just a refresher. Paul is writing to the church. So he's writing to those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. He has heard of their faith in Christ, their love for one another, how they're growing in their faith. And so what he's doing is he's saying, Hey, I want you to remember what life was like apart from Jesus. You once were, you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That word alienated, it means to be separated. It means to be estranged. He's saying, hey church, there was a time apart from Christ where you were separated from God. And it's because of the sin in our lives. You think back to the Garden of God. Garden of Eden, man and woman experiencing the perfect relationship, perfect fellowship Perfect everything with God. They were bound together in peace. Mankind and God. And then man chose to reject God's way. To reject God's will. To reject God's plan. And sin entered the world known as the fall of man. And that sin separated us from a holy God. The perfect fellowship is no longer perfect. It's been severed. There's a separation. The Bible says this church, you once were alienated. You were separate. You're separate. The Bible says in Isaiah 59:2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But he says not only you were you once alienated, but you were also hostile in mind. You were hostile in mind. The word can also mean hateful. In other words... He said that there is a battle for your mind that will lead to evil deeds. You were alienated, you were hostile in mind, and you did evil deeds. And I think we all agree that way before an a evil deed happens outside our body, where does it start? Between our ears. And there's a battle right now. And there's a battle for our mind. And the Bible teaches us that when we reject God and when we reject His way and we reject His will and we reject His plan, that this is a hostility to God. And that that there is a battle for the mind. That we often struggle with those outward actions, but it begins way before in the unseen. It begins in our minds. Alienated refers to our condition, but it's hostility that refers to our attitude. And so there is this, this once were, apart from Christ, alienated, hostile. John three nineteen twenty 20 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, referring to Christ. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The Bible refers to those apart from Christ as enemies. As enemies, listen to this, Romans 5, 9-11 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. There's a wrath to be paid for sin. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation verse 10 for if while we were enemies and so here's the hard part because oftentimes i think it might have happened yesterday i reserve, i, I referred to somebody as a good dude right we just use that word they're a good dude they're a good guy they're a, they're just a good lady you know like that that's good like good is good okay but the bible teaches us that apart from christ we are fundamentally not good <laughs> That we are fundamentally alienated from God because of our sin, that we are fundamentally hostile in mind toward God, that we are fundamentally having these evil deeds, that we are fundamentally an enemy of God. Apart from Christ, we're an enemy and we need peace with God. But the only problem is there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, you you answer this guy. How, how in the world can a person, a a sinful person. How in the world can they make peace with God? How's that peace treaty going to work? Right? He's a holy God. He's perfect. We need peace. This problem is though with our sin and ourselves. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the creative juices. We don't have the, the, the gusto, the, the, the strength. We don't have what it takes to have that peace with God, we're in opposition. We're a rival. We're hostile. Ephesians two says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So how in the world can a dead person make a peace treaty with God? In our sin, y'all. Like sometimes we treat sin like a donut, but sin's like a viper. <laughs> All right, we treat it. We treat it like it's a donut. We know it's bad for us, and and but but we just we just gotta have it or whatever. But no, like we need to treat sin like a like a like a viper. Like a viper, our sin deserves a just penalty. Our sin must be dealt with. Our sin, the Bible says, is the object of God's wrath. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so we we have a problem, and the problem is we can't have peace with God unless God does something about it. And the good news is the gospel of peace. The good news of peace. Because it teaches us. For God so loved the world that He gave. That we, apart from ourselves and on our own, we cannot be good enough, do enough, earn it to have peace with God. God has to do something. Our price, our peace has been paid. Our peace has been paid through the cross we understand why we need reconciliation let's look at the how of reconciliation in verses 20 and 21 the bible says this it says and through him jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether in or in on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The Bible teaches us that the only way to have peace with God, reconciliation with God, is because of the blood of his cross and by his death. Now, I wanna, I, we have a cross. I want to ask the guys who are going to come and bring a cross, and they're just going to sit it right here in front of us. Because as we talk about the cross, I want us to see this visual. Because it took the cross for us to have peace with God. It took the cross throughout the Old Testament. We see that the Old Testament sacrificial system was installed. And that it would be through the shedding of blood, through the, the sacrifice, that that would become the symbol for the removal of the penit- the penalty of sin. Sacrifice has always been the pouring out of life. And so you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Every sacrifice was pointing to the greatest sacrifice. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law, was pointing to the need for a greater sacrifice. One that would pour his life out once and for all for our sin. I believe we see this most clearly in the great miracle of the Old Testament, the Passover. The Passover. You're familiar with the Exodus story. The people of God were under Egyptian bondage slavery for 400 years. 400 years. The new Pharaoh in town hated, enslaved, and abused God's people. And the people of God cried out to God, and God heard their prayer, and He was going to answer their prayer. God determined to set His people free And he would do so through a mediator. And the mediator's name was Moses. Moses was, as we would refer to in the Old Testament, a type of Christ. He's not Christ. He's a type of Christ. He's a picture of the greater mediator that will come. Remember every sacrifice pointing to the greatest sacrifice? Moses is a mediator between the people of God and God himself. And here's what I love about Moses. He was a normal guy. (laughs) He was like us. I mean, that, that's hard for us to get our heads around. Like, he's a hero, right? He is. But guess what? He had struggles just like you and me. Okay? For one, Moses evidently had some anger issues from time to time. Now, we won't take a poll of who, who that is today, okay? But but he, he had some anger issues. You remember him striking the rock? So speaking of the rock, I mean, he had kind of fed up, had enough. So Moses is this guy who had been set apart by God to go before Pharaoh, he, he, he had maybe some anger issues. He had a stuttering problem. There were times where he was absolutely bold and courageous. And there were also times where he was maybe not so bold and courageous. But his job was to be set apart from God as God's mouthpiece to tell Pharaoh what to do. But here's the problem. Guess who Pharaoh thinks he is? Pharaoh thinks he's God. And so you have Moses... Being the mouthpiece for God to tell Pharaoh what to do, the only problem is Pharaoh thinks he's God. And so we know how the rest of the story goes. Pharaoh's heart is hard. And so God brings judgment on the sin of Egypt. He brings judgment. And it culminates with the tenth plague. And the tenth plague would be the death of the firstborn. And this plague would affect Pharaoh's house. The Bible says that this would... This would also impact the girl that was hiding behind the mill. That this, this firstborn, the death of the firstborn, would even go into the cattle, the livestock of the land. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? When God's judgment was poured out on sin on Egypt? Can you imagine the cries? Can you imagine the shrills? Can you imagine the screams? And yet, There was one exception, and it was the people of faith in the one true God who participated in what was come to known as the Passover meal. God's going to pour out His wrath and judgment on sin, but He provides provision so that His wrath would pass over them. The Bible teaches us that He gave them instruction, and here's the instruction. He said, I want you to take a lamb, and the lamb must be without spot and must be without blemish and you take the lamb that was that is without spot or without blemish and you sacrifice the lamb you take the blood of that lamb and you place it on the doorpost of your home and when god sends his wrath on the sin of egypt the death angel will see that you are covered under the blood of the spotless lamb and you will be The the wrath of God will pass over you. And that, do you see the picture? Do you see the imagery? Every sacrifice pointing to the greatest sacrifice. And how Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the spotless Lamb of God without spot or without blemish. And that, no coincidence, He was crucified, slaughtered as Lamb of God on Passover. Being the once and for all sacrifice to remove the sin of those who place their faith and trust in him. John the Baptist saw Christ coming early on in his ministry. He said this in John one twenty nine Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what Christ did for us. And there was no other way. By the blood of his cross, by his death. That's the only way. It's the only way. And so we think of, of reconciliation. Um, maybe some of you have practiced that this morning before you got here, right? It's a little give and take, right? You've offended someone or that someone has offended you. Maybe you got off to a bad start. And so what is a little give and take? You, I come towards you, you come towards me. And we kind of come to this agreement. But here's the thing. This peace with God, we, we, we can't. We can't. We have nothing to offer. You can't buy it. You can't earn it don't deserve it you can't amazon prime it you can't fedex it like you can't you can't it was only through him the bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags and so the only way for sinful man to have peace with god is through the cross of jesus it's the only way and it's at this point that christianity is different from all other false religions it differs from all other false religions because in world religions you have man seeking God and you have man reaching for God. But in Christianity you have God seeking man and God taking the initiative to save sinful man to have peace. God is moving in love, sacrificing himself to bring peace between God and man only through the cross. We couldn't go to him so he came to us. The only one that could bridge the gap from Peace with God. And it's the only way to have peace with God. And His death, Christ's death, satisfied God's wrath. Listen to this. God poured out His wrath against sin on His own Son on the cross. Because only God could satisfy the righteous requirement that He deserved. That He required. And so we see the why, and we see the how, but there's an effect here, the effect of reconciliation. In verse 22, it says, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you, here it is, church, listen to this, you, in order to present you, church, holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. This is why, this is why, to present you holy, Just how you were alienated in your sin from God in Christ, relationship with Christ. Guess what? You are now separated from sin. The fact that Christ clothes you, gifts you in his righteousness, you are set apart to God. This is why Paul can say when he's writing the letter, he says to the saints and the faithful brothers, there is no saint that exists outside of Jesus. That is the only way that we can be referred to as saints. It's because of Christ. We're blameless. Do you remember that? The lamb without spot or blemish. He died for us so that we could stand without blemish before him. It means without spot. It's the same language used in the New Testament to speak of Christ. Oftentimes you see holy and blameless together. But he doesn't stop there. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. It goes past blameless. It goes past blameless. It's not only that you're without blemish, but no one can bring a charge against you. He clothes you in His righteousness. And it is only through the cross of Christ. I want you, if you're willing, to flip over to 2 Corinthians with me real quick. And I want to read a passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read a few verses because in a lot of ways, it's this passage that's going to help us even further understand what we're reading right now. It's almost like a commentary. Paul is giving commentary on this same truth we find in Scripture. Some of the verses may sound familiar to some of you, but man, what truth this is. 2 Corinthians 5. I want to read verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17, 17 through 21. Listen to what the Bible says. Therefore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ, here it is, reconciled or made peace. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, Therefore we, we, the body of Christ, the church, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And listen to verse 21. For our sake, for our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Christ the Son, to Be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That there is no way I could ever stand before God if it weren't for the grace and the mercy of God and His gifted righteousness that He gives all of those who by faith accept Christ as Lord And so the effect is not only that you will be gifted with his righteousness and that you will be standing before him, holy, blameless, above reproach, but there is also an effect practically through our lives today. In verse 23, of Colossians 1, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue in the faith. Say, so, oh, hold on! Is this suggesting that you would, you could lose your salvation? Absolutely not! Absolutely not. If could also be translated since, since you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. We don't continue in the faith in order to keep our salvation, but rather it's the evidence that we do possess salvation. A true believer will continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Listen to those words stable, steadfast, not shifting. Curious, has anybody ever been in an earthquake? A couple have been. So so I've never been in one, I can't imagine. So the church at Colossae where this was written to, this was a region known for earthquakes. And so as Paul is saying this, he's speaking earthquake lingo. And he's saying... You continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's this idea that they know what that looks like. They know what that feels like. And and Paul is telling them that you're truly saved when you build on the solid foundation of Jesus and that you continue in the faith. Nothing will move you. If you've heard the gospel, you've accepted Christ as Lord. He has saved you. So you continue steadfast. You continue not shifting because you are a true child of God. You have peace with God. So as we read this, there's a couple ways I want to encourage us as we read this word. The first I would share to the believers in the room. And when I say believers, I'm not not referring to the fact that you know answers to Bible trivia. I'm, I'm saying if you truly know Christ... I'm saying if there has been that time and that place in your life where you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, that the challenge for us, brothers and sisters, is that we would stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. The reality is is that for some of us, you may be not as close as you once were to Jesus. That maybe we have allowed things to distract us, to discourage us, to detract us, and that there is an encouragement practically, and I speak this challenge into my own life, is that we would love God, that we would love people, and we would live sent. Now, there's a lot packed in there right there. But, but what's most important is that you love God. Yesterday, I spoke with a, a friend of mine from out of state, struggling in his marriage, and I'll just leave it at that. And one of the first questions I asked him, didn't get into like interrogation mode or anything like that, okay? We, we all are works in progress, okay? I hope I say that enough, all right? But the reality is, is that one of the questions I said is like, tell me about your time with Jesus. Tell me about your time in the Word. Tell me about time in prayer. And, and he's just like, I'm too busy. I'm like, okay, so you're, you're so busy that now you find yourself fighting for your marriage. Are you too busy for that? And so this challenge is is that we would love God. And when I talk about loving God, I'm really talking about just your personal relationship with Him. I'm talking about the gathering of the body of Christ right here. I'm also talking about that personal worship time in the Word. What was the first thing Paul prayed for the Colossian church? That they would be filled with the knowledge of His will. The will of God is found in the Word of God. And that He would live in His glorious might that we must be in the Word. And so maybe it's today you found yourself straying and not having that. That time, that devoted time with the Lord. I'd be loving people. I, when I talk about a thriving faith, this is what I think about. I think about somebody in community. I think about somebody who's not trying to get out there and do it all by themselves or, or, or pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I'm talking about somebody who's like, you know what, I need the body of Christ. I need somebody praying for me, holding me accountable, encouraging me. And I need to be pouring into somebody else's life. We need to love God, love people, live sin. I talked with a brother this morning. And it was so encouraging because they shared about how they had discovered what God had put a passion in their heart for serving others. And the reality is, is there are things that you care about that other people don't care about. And that you are shaped, you are gifted. Uh, God has placed that inside you. And the reality is, is that you, if you go about not engaged in serving in the way God has gifted you, you're missing out. You're missing out. That's so I'll say, you're missing out. God has gifted you to be a blessing, to serve and live sense, sharing your story. So stay close to Jesus. Another practical thought would be that we would initiate reconciliation with others. God says, you're my ambassador. I'm going to make my appeal to man through your life. And so I believe this, this plays it out practically in two ways. One, it could be that you have a severed relationship with someone who you care about. Relationship's not what it used to be, but it could be. What does it look like for you to initiate peace in that relationship? But that also that we are called to be ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation, which means you are sharing the gospel of peace. By the way, I love Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God. When they refer to the 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 shoes, the 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 shoes prepared to share the gospel of peace. That's what this is. This is peace. It's the gospel of peace. Peace. And the third challenge that I would say is that if you're here and you're apart from a relationship with Christ, that you would respond to God's gift of reconciliation through repentance and faith. And I said it a moment ago, is that you will never have peace. You will never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And the fact that God loved you so much that He initiated the path for peace and He is pursuing you through the cross that he is pursuing a relationship with you and it's almost like a picture as if god is extending a hand to you in grace the grace that we don't deserve so that you could have peace with him and the bible says the way to have peace is to believe in your heart that christ was crucified your sin and he was risen from the dead Bible says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved not you might be not you could be you will be but it is only possible through the cross and God is extending an invitation to all of those who today are apart from Christ and displaying his great love to you and he is saying he is saying come 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 that you would acknowledge your need for a Savior. That you would turn from yourself and sin. And you would place your faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus alone. But this right here. Is the only way. That you will have peace. It's the only way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your word. God I thank you for this letter. To the Colossian church. God I. I'm a little taken aback by kind of seeing my life apart from You. To God, to think that maybe I was a, I was a good person and not a, good, not a bad kid and did the right things. But at the end of the day, the Bible teaches me that I was alienated. I was separated from You by my sin. That... I was hostile in mind to you. I was an enemy. I was in opposition. I was a rival. But God, the Bible teaches us that we can have peace with you by your shed blood on the cross and the fact that you died on the cross for our sins, that you were placed in the tomb and that you rose from the dead. And so right now, God, I pray in this moment, Father, that you would draw lost people To yourself. Father I pray that if there's anyone here. In the room or online. That has never repented of their sin. And placed their faith and trust in you. And you alone for salvation. That in this moment. They would do that. They would do that. That you're reaching out. Offering. Peace. With yourself. I pray for all the believers in the room. And Father I pray that maybe. Some have strayed. Some are struggling. And my fact is, everybody's struggling with something. But Father, we are reminded that we are to continue steadfast, focused on you, loving you, loving others, living sent. Father, I pray that you would convict us of those areas in our lives that need to reflect more of your rule and reign in our lives. And Father, that we would be ambassadors for peace. And Father, I thank you for the peace that was only made possible through the cross. Father, we love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to have a song of invitation. And uh, I just want to say this before we kind of wrap up here in a moment. But but if God is working in your heart, don't squelch that. Don't quitch that. Let us know. Let somebody
1: know.